everybody. Welcome to another episode of Everyday Strong with Dr. Michael G. Daniels. This is your host, C.B. Baker, and we are going to do a continuation of our financial freedom series. Uh, today, Dr. Daniels, we're going to cover the stages in which you're adding life to make to the stages at which you're adding life to start your financial freedom um, process. So today we're going to talk about what we say. Let's say 18 to 35 ish mm-hmm. or in that in that range. You're 18 to 35. You're just starting out, whether you went to college or getting out of college or out of the military. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe like I got a couple of friends that retire like at what, 42 because they do the 20 years after 18. Mm-hmm. Now they're out in the military. What we what do we do? And that's that's a good that's a good question because most people who are just starting out, uh, even though we tell them, let's say, you know, to, to live off eighty percent of your income, and let's say you've gotten to eighty percent, the question is, what do I do with that other twenty percent? You know, this first ten percent, you know, the Bible is clear, and people are usually clear. And whether or not they will follow that is one thing, but they're clear on it, right? Mm-hmm. That ten percent that tithe belongs to God. What do I do with the other ten percent? How do I make that work for me? So that I can get where I need to be. So if I'm at that beginning stage of life, you know, young family life or, you know, even single or whatever, where do I go? But the first thing, as you probably know, is that many people don't even have a, a, a mechanism to say, you know, they don't even have bank accounts. Many people deal with cash, which is the worst thing to do. And so a lot of a lot of times what people will ask me is, well, where should I put that money? Should I put it in, in, a, in a credit union, a bank? You know, should I buy a mutual fund? Should I buy some stocks? And what I tell folk is simple. Number one is that you want to put your money where you get the best return. Now, if you're only putting away $20 a week, you're not going to get the return of someone who's putting away $20,000. That's right. But you can still get a good return. And oftentimes people will look at, you know, uh, do I go to a credit union? Do I go to a bank? Uh, and I will let you know people know right now, um, while credit unions seem like a good deal oftentimes, most people don't necessarily understand how credit unions operate and so why they're not necessarily your best bet. Usually they're not your best bet. Now, what kind of bank do I go to? Well, what you don't want to do is go to a large bank. What you want to do is always go to a small bank. If you don't have a lot of money, a large bank is not where you want to go because they don't care about you. They're going to charge you fees for a little bit of money. And so you will start any any interest you earn will be eaten up in fees. Right. That's so right. what you want to do is large bank is the last place you go to. I recommend people go to go to online banks, you know, a couple, couple of reasons. Number one, online banks have low overhead. Online banks are still insured by the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, which means your money is still guaranteed by the government. But they give you higher rates. You know, for example, Average bank right now on a checking account, if you got $100 in, you get zero interest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you go to a bank that's online and only do and does online banking, like, for example, American Express has online banking, on checking accounts is 2%. I don't care how much money you put in, it's 2%. So already you're getting 2% more than you would have gotten if you were at a, a local institution. Right. And, 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 and so if you're, and if you're using a savings account or different you know, things of that nature, you're still getting more return for your investment. Some people are uncomfortable with that because they're like a physical bank. You know, mm-hmm. I, I'm not uncomfortable with it. Right. You know, but the other thing is some people are uncomfortable with that because they want to be able to walk into the store, walk into the door, this kind of thing. Well, if you if you feel like you have to do that, then you want to go to a small community bank because, again, they want your business more. Mm-hmm. So they're going to give you more interest rates. 
give you a better interest rate. Then a credit union, the last place you want to go is uh, a large bank. That's the last place you want to go. So anyway, um, the other reason why I recommend online banking is because even though it's not harder to get your money out, mentally it seems hard to get your money. Mm-hmm. So you are less likely to dabble with the money. Right. You know, if you can drive down the street and see, you know, Wells Fargo, you won't right. have to go in. Right. If you don't see the bank, you're less apt to go in. And 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 and, and a lot of the online uh, banks don't issue you a series of checks. You have to ask for a check, you know, mm-hmm. and you can always use a, a, a ATM card to pay your bills. Right. But again, it helps you to save more that way. So that would be my first thing I would suggest to people. Uh, the next thing is, what am I saving for? Right. Um, and I would say to anyone that is not a homeowner, of course, that's your next step. Now, if you look at millennials nowadays, what we find is that millennials are less likely to buy homes than other generations. Right. They're more likely to continue renting. The, the problem with that is simple, is that it, it does not stabilize your expenditures. Mm-hmm. Anytime you're renting, as you know, your expenditures are controlled by someone else. Right. So they can keep increasing. And that's for most young people, that's their largest expenditure, and that is housing. So your expenditure keeps increasing every year, so you're not in control of the expenditure. So then if, as soon as you can, you ought to look at how can I buy my home? Because that way you have stabilized. Now, I don't consider buying a home until I have saved a minimum of two months salary, because that should be my goal right there is two months salary, you know, saved up that I'm not going to touch. That's my emergency money. And then I look for how do I stabilize my expenses and move that way. Yeah, I mean, good, sound advice. And Ford, I don't want to, I got to say it because, I mean, I'm certified in, in the 10X uh, group. The, the, the one thing I will say to people out there that want to buy a home, before you plop down $250,000 on a single family home, look at a quadplex to plop down $250,000 in mm-hmm. and live in one unit and let the other three units pay down the note and pay for you to stay there for free. Mm-hmm. You know, so it just, just a little bit of handiwork that you might have to do in, in right. the houses, you know, in the, in the, you know, the units, but it pays for itself and it's, well, and it's an asset. Yeah. And absolutely. And, and I'll say this too. Um, if you go anytime, no matter, no matter where, where you are in life. Right. And, and I don't want to jump too far out of, you know, dealing with the people who are in that category. Anytime you're going to buy a home, uh, you never want to buy a home that doesn't have built-in equity. <laughs> right. Never. Whether you got to make repairs or not, you never buy a home that doesn't have built-in equity. And, and, and that's why, you know, oftentimes people will assume that a real estate agent is their best, is their friend. Let me tell you, a real estate <laughs> agent is not your friend. Yeah. A real estate agent is trying to make money. So you don't go to an agent thinking that that person is going to give you the best deal. No, that person is going to make the deal that's best for them and not what's best for you. Mm-hmm. So you have to look out, do your own homework and say, which home gives me the best equity? Sometimes the best equity is not the best looking home. Mm-hmm. You know what exactly. I'm that's but right. That, but that's where I start out with savings. And again, that helps you in the long run because you're not looking at buying your last home. You're looking at buying your first home so you can stabilize expenses. Mm-hmm. And once you stabilize expenses, then you start looking at other things you need to deal with. You know, like my children's education. You know, you put on the, put aside for for that. You start looking at things like, well, what kind of car do I drive? And it's and it's the same process you're looking at, and that is 
how do I minimize the um, uh, uh, losing money by buying a car? Mm -hmm. Because again, oftentimes young people, when they go to buy a car, they don't think about it in that way. But if you buy a car and as soon as you drive it off the lot, you, 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 you lose money, you mm -hmm. know, uh, <laughs> because cars depreciate really quick. So right. as you hit the, as soon as you hit the pavement of that street, it's gone. It, it's, it's signed the paperwork. Yeah. That's, that's it. Right? right. It's now worth less than you paid for it. Cause now it's no longer a new car, right. even though you haven't even driven it yet. Right. Once you own it, it's not a new car anymore. Right. right. Uh, unless you are another dealer that's buying it, but right. if it's a personal sale, it's not. Well, a, well how a home appreciates somewhat. You know, hopefully your home will appreciate. Right, right. But what you know is your car will not depreciate. Home, excuse me, will not appreciate. What we also know is this, is that all cars don't depreciate at the same rate. That's correct. Right. So if, if, if I'm buying a car, you know, uh, and I'm just trying to make those decisions where I'm, I'm careful about how I'm spending my money, my research ought to be, let me find the car that depreciates the least. Mm -hmm. It might not be the car of my dreams. But it's the car that will appreciate the lease. And therefore, when I trade it in to buy the next car, I will have more value to get the next car as I'm trying to get the car of my dreams. Right. And those little things will add up after a while. Mm -hmm. If you make those small decisions, once you get yourself situated, it will make it so much easier for you down the road because you've been saving a little bit here, a little bit there. And what it will really seem like, I know one time you, you said something that was so key that people don't always think about. You talked about streams of income and mm -hmm. that it's nice if you can have more than one stream of income. Right. Well, sometimes you can get a stream of income by what we call an economic profit or not incurring an economic loss. Right. Mm -hmm. Because the opposite of a loss is a gain. Right. Right. So if I'm not losing money, in a sense, I'm kind of gaining money. So if I can walk out of a deal uh, better than, than than I would have, I've kind of had a stream of income. Right. For example, if I buy a car. For example, Toyotas tend to retain their value pretty, pretty well. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I buy a Toyota, let's say, and, and at the end for, for $10,000 and in three years it is valued at $8,000 or, and then I could buy a Chevrolet and at the end of three years it's valued at $5,000. One gives me an $8,000 advantage over the other one. So in a sense, I have a $3,000 stream of income when I go to trade in. Right, that's right. Because that's right. I got more trade-in value on one than I do on another. So if I do it that way, that gives me, in a sense, a stream of income that I hadn't banked on because I have an extra $3,000 in trade-in. The same thing happens in the housing industry. That's why I was saying about make sure you buy a house with equity. Not, not based on how good it looked, but equity. Because now when I trade, trade up, I got more money mm -hmm. to trade up. And that's like another stream of income in a sense. So right. that kind of helps me build on what you were talking about, you know, in a couple of couple of podcasts ago, or having different ways of having your money making money for you. Yeah. And that's one of the things that really school don't teach you. You know, don't they really teach you unless you go in graduate school, mm -hmm. you know, but high school is not really teaching it. Well, I will say this. In my high school in the Woodlands, Texas, which was a predominantly white high school mm -hmm. in an affluent neighborhood, yeah, they taught that mm -hmm. in one class, mm -hmm. you know. But other than that, I never got I never got this information. I had to go find it and read it. Right. And and for the young folks out there for this this particular episode, you have got to go out there and get the information. It's not mm -hmm. it's, it's it's 
it's not like it's hidden. No, it's, it's there. It's just not pushed in your face mm-hmm. because I mean, for as a, as a theory, the powers that be don't want you to know because all the rich people want to keep staying rich. Right. So now, if you find out how to do how to do the things mm-hmm. that they did, mm-hmm. and you start doing it well, then eventually they got to share some of their money with you. Unless, you know, inflation happens, you know, right. then we get into serious economics. Yeah. But it's it's the same ordeal. You need to have basic economics with cash flow. You got to have more money coming in mm-hmm. than going out. Mm-hmm. And then we talked about that, that 10 percent, which every, gets everybody. I don't care who you are, Pastor. That 10 percent be looking real good when. Uh, like tax time come around, tax you know. Tax, now the government's freed up, it's back in, it's back to work. The tax returns will start, the money will start coming in. Everybody rubbing their hands like Birdman. Mm-hmm. So, what are you gonna do with that money? That's right. You got some people that's gonna get anywhere between two thousand to eight thousand dollar check, mm-hmm. and we all know the people. They get it and they balling out for the next two months. <laughs> They all in the club and making right. it rain and everything. They spent before they get it. <laughs> right. But now, but what could just imagine what would happen if they took the, if you could take that eight thousand mm-hmm. and sit on it, right. or mm-hmm. and passively invest it, and then the next year you got another eight thousand. Now you got sixteen thousand. Now you got something you can work with. You, you move, you're moving forward, and 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 like you said, you know. Because again, the premise we were looking at is what you were at the eighty twenty, you know, already, right? Because uh, if not, if I'm not at eighty twenty, I need to take that money and pay down some bills so I can get there. But if I am there, like you said, if I have my ten percent, now I say again, you know, well, what do I do with it, right? And so once I have that, you know, cushion for for those things that may happen in life, you know, if, if I have two months salary. And that's just for those things that may happen in life, you know, refrigerator breakdown, car breakdown, you know, those kind of things that might happen to me. Now I can say, well, okay, once I get that cushion, I can now take that 10 percent and start saying, how do I divvy that up short term, midterm and long term? Right. Even if it's only twenty dollars, but how do I divvy that up? So I'm taking a part of that and saying this is short term saving. This is midterm for whatever. This is long term. Because my midterm might be like, well, I need, I want to buy a house, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe my midterm savings. My long term, of course, is going to be. It could be for my college, for college for my children, because it may be what another fifteen years, and they're going to be going to college, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, or it could be for retirement. Depends on whether or not I have children or I plan on having children. But let's say that you know, um, I do say, well, you know what, I I, I do have two children. So I want to start putting a little bit aside, even just $10, you know, every pay period mm-hmm. for college. And I know some people will, will say things like, well, we can get government grants. You don't know the government grant is going to be available. Exactly. Number one. Right. The other thing is this. If your income keeps increasing, you don't know if your child will be eligible for a government grant. And mm-hmm. your hope is your income will keep increasing. Right. Uh, and you certainly can't bank on your child getting a scholarship because, you know, you don't know they're going to be able to be that competitive, even if they are smart. Right. There are other people vying for those same scholarships. But let's say your child does get a scholarship. If you have saved that $10 every pay period from the time that child was three years old, you may have a nice piece of money. If the child then uh, does get the scholarship, then now you can do exactly what you just said. Right. Now you've got a big piece of money that now you can look at. OK, well. I can transfer that from my, because from, now as you move through life, 
what was long term now becomes your midterm or your you know short term because mm-hmm. now you've moved up years. Right. So now I can take that money and say, wait a minute, I got an extra thirty thousand dollars sitting here that I had saved for education, mm-hmm. but now it's short term because I've moved up some years. Right. And you can take that and decide, okay, what do I do with this money now? Well, I might say, okay, I'm going to take you know. Five percent, and I'm just going to take a vacation with it, right? Or whatever, you know, right? And then I'm going to take this extra money. I'm going to move maybe fifty percent of it to long term mm-hmm. because now I'm at a different age, right? Where I got to start planning for retirement, and I'm going to take some of the money and move it to midterm because mm-hmm. there might be some other things I want to do, you know, some, you know, whatever right. fits your lifestyle at that point in time, and you keep making those adjustments as you keep growing up through through your life cycle, and before you know it, you are financially stable, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, only because you start investing $10 a week, you know, or $20 a week, but you maneuvered your money so you could be at a certain place. Again, for, um, for millennials, I, I, I can't stress enough the idea of home ownership so you can stabilize expenses. Because if I do have a home and I buy the home in 2019, let's say, mm-hmm. uh, 20 years from now, uh, that mortgage payment is going to be seem like nothing to me. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, if you buy a home in 2019, 20 years from now, you should no longer have a mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. Right. And right. You, you really shouldn't have a mortgage payment. Right. That's right. Right. Because right. there's no reason. And I say this to all millennials. And if you're not a millennial, I say to anybody, um, never pay off a mortgage as if you're going to keep it over 15 years. Never. It makes no sense. And you can pay off a mortgage in 15 years. With, with putting minimal extra to it, you can have a mortgage in 20 years without putting one extra dime to it. And, and, and those are the little things that, like you say, you don't learn in school. Right. That people don't always think about, you know, but you can do that. Um, for example, um, let's, you know, a person is 25 years old. And they, and they buy their first home, right? And I mean, you probably would want to keep moving up till you get to your dream home. But let's just say you still just, you know, be in your home. And I get a 30-year mortgage, but I want to pay it off in 20 years. Without paying one dime extra, all you do is start paying a month earlier than they told you to start. Mm-hmm. For, right? Because you always, right. when you buy the first home, when you do your prepays, the first month you don't pay a mortgage payment. Right. Right? But you do it anyway. But you don't pay the mortgage payment, you pay the principal. So the first month you say, you know what, take this money and put it to the principal. And, and so that means you all, you're a month ahead, right? Right. So when the next year come around, you're still a month ahead. Mm-hmm. So you take that first month and first new year and you say, put it toward the principal. If you do that every year in 20 years, you right. have your house right. paid for. And right. you would have not paid one dime extra. Right. That's your right. payment wouldn't have increased, but you would have taken a 30-year mortgage and paid it off in 20 years. And look at all the money you would have saved. So if I'm 25, that means now I'm 45 and I don't have a mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. You know. And then, and then and if you bought right, you got all that equity in the house. In the house. And then it's worth way more than what you paid for it. Right. It changes the whole scope of things. Um, I, you know, I, I, when I was in college, and you, but you're right, colleges don't always teach you this stuff. When mm-hmm. I was in college, and I may have mentioned this before, an instructor, uh, Dr. Choi, he was on loan from Japan. And um, he, he said um, the American dream, he was talking about the American dream. He said the American dream is one that's so easy to obtain, you know. And his point was that if you start out buying a house when you are young and you, you, you keep, you know, doubling what you buy, 
He said, then when you get older, you just sell the house, you got all the equity. If I got a million dollar house and I sell the house, all of a sudden I got a million dollars. I got a million dollars right. that, that I can use for whatever I want to use it for. Right. And, and, and I can take that million dollars and invest it right. And let's say I get 5% on an investment off a million dollars. Well, most retirees can live off $50,000. Yep. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, plus you're still getting your retirement benefits. Right. right? And, and so, I mean, those are some simple things that, you know, as far as what do I do with that money? You know, what do I do with the extra money that I'm getting now that I'm there? And you just have to be consistent, you know, in, in, in doing that. Yeah. The consistency and in the, in the self-discipline mm-hmm. that comes in and in the self-awareness of, of how you be, how your behavior is. Mm-hmm. Like if you're like me. And, you know, I'm an Aquarius, so I'm very impulsive. Mm-hmm. So I, I've got to set a, I got to set a, set aside five to eight percent of just this is, you know, from when I want to go to Vegas this weekend. Mm-hmm. Boom. You know, I got a, I got credit card with points and I use the stuff. Bam, bam, bam. So that don't cost me nothing to fly out there. I'm flying to my points for now. I got the mm-hmm. hotel stay. My wife was a travel agent. Shout out to her. Then boom, she gives us a nice room for cheap. So I made, I understand my behavior. So then I got that little, my dad would say, the little kitty set up over on the side mm-hmm. for me to be able to use on a random vacation, mm-hmm. you know, or even if it's a staycation, you know, if you go to Virginia Beach for the weekend right. or something. So just that's what I did for me. And yeah. I, when I tell other people when I'm counseling them and coaching them, it's like, oh, you got to understand yourself. Like if you know that when that tax return money is going to come in, you're going to go on vacation, right? How much is it? Mm-hmm. Take mm-hmm. that money out and then take the the remainder money and then to take um, uh, another piece of advice is open up another account that you got to have somebody that you trust dearly. But it's got to be two signatures on the account in order to get the money out. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know how you were saying about the online um, right. account. So it's not easy to just take the money back out. Right. Right. So it's understanding your behavior. Like if you know you're going to go blow eight thousand dollars on on a motorcycle, mm-hmm. you know, because you you know it's just understanding right. yourself and sure. especially and, at a young age. And, and, and see, that's a part of what I say: short term, mid term, and long term investing, right? Because uh, to me, short term is within you know twelve. To 18 months. Then uh, midterm is going to be from 18, let's say, to 36 months. Then anything other than that, it's going to be long term stuff, right? So let's say I want a vacation. Well, to me, that's that's a part of what I'm going to be doing, right? So a part of that money, if I got ten dollars, if I'm all, you know, I'm gonna put a part of that money and say this is for my short term, and that might be for the vacation I want to go on. You know, I may mm-hmm. want to go because it is is it is essential that you reward yourself for saving. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that's essential. And if you don't reward yourself, you won't repeat behaviors. You know, that's just a, you know psychology one oh one. Reward causes repeat behaviors. So that's in a short term savings will be just what you're saying is that I'm put up, put some aside so that I know that this will be for that vacation. And I, I would suggest to everyone you should vacation every year. It, it, that should be a part of your, your, your saving strategy that every year I'm on vacation. But your strategy has taken account again something that you just said, which was what well, it might be a staycation rather mm-hmm. than a vacation. Right. So for those who don't understand that, vacation comes from the word vacate to leave where I am. Mm-hmm. Staycation comes from the word stay to stay where I am. Right. right? And so uh, again, especially in this area, staycation can be done, and you can have a tremendous time. Reason being is what uh, thousands of people, 
thousands and thousands of people leave where they are to come to where we are to vacation. That's right. That means that there are a lot of things here to do that we who live here don't always take advantage of. Mm -hmm. But you can staycation and just take advantage of those things. So do what the vacationers would do. You know, every day do what they would do. Mm -hmm. You know, and you will, this will be a, you will just have the greatest time you've ever had. But sometimes you do want to get away. The other thing you see that I want to highlight, you know, um, everybody may not have understood what you were saying. Well, they may have understood, but they may have grasped the, I guess, the importance of doing what you just said. And that is this. Um, most credit cards will allow you to uh, do a couple of things. One, get points that you can apply to things or to travel or, mm-hmm. or something like, like that. Also, what credit cards will help you do is manage money. But you got to know how to do it because you get a statement that shows you everything you spent your money on. That's right. And, and that's key to knowing everything you spent your money on. Now, the other thing a credit card can do for you is help you build credit. Now, it can also help you destroy credit. So what I, I'm telling people know, especially young people, you need to get at least one credit card, one credit card. Now, here's the thing. Never put anything on the card that you wouldn't pay for cash. Mm-hmm. If you wouldn't pay for it cash, do not put it on the card. Right. And so what you want to do is this. Let's say I want to buy $10 for gas, right? I better have $10 cash somewhere to cover that gas. Right. And then if I spend the $10 for the gas, I can't spend the $10. Right. Because as soon as the bill come in, I need to pay the bill totally off, pay it off completely. Now, what I have done is I have borrowed money for up to 30 days without paying interest on it. Mm-hmm. because the credit card company has loaned me money. Mm-hmm. And then as long as I pay it, when the bill comes in, I pay no interest. So I've borrowed money, but I've also had my money in the bank. Right. So I have accrued interest. That especially works for you when you're paying larger bills. For example, let's say you have to pay your personal property taxes. And a personal property taxes may be on, if you have two cars, may run about $1,000 in your case, they run about two, three thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I'm not looking forward to that uh, so, and bill coming in. So, but think about now, if I got three thousand dollars and I have it in one of those online accounts and I'm drawing two percent, right? Mm-hmm. That's how much I have made by letting the credit card company pay, pay my taxes. Because as soon as the bill comes in, I'm going to pay it off in cash, right? I'm going to pay it off. But I have accrued interest on the two thousand dollars. Now, if I do that for my insurance on my house, if I do that for all those large things that I have to you know, spend money on, mm-hmm. I am letting the credit card company loan me money interest-free. Mm-hmm. Also, what happens because I'm paying the bill in total every month, my credit score is zooming. You know, right. My credit score is climbing so high. In the, by, within two years, I'm in the 800 range. I could have started out in a 500 range. Mm-hmm. Within two years... I'm going to be in the 800 range simply because I paid the credit card off in its entirety every month. Right. So now once I get the money that I have been saving for my home, I got an 800 credit score. I got a little bit of down payment, which now they will take my small down payment because my credit score is so high. Right. I have researched and I have found a house that has a lot of equity in it. So when I buy the house, I walk in with money in the bank, you know, so to speak. Right. I'm living large and I haven't... I, and it's not about me getting more money. It's about how I managed the little bit of money I had over that period of time. And, and, and I, that, that to me is so crucial for people who are just starting out, you know, to save. 
is you use those little things mm-hmm. so that, again, it's, again, I, I, I'm piggybacking on what you said earlier, is that that gives you another stream of income. Right. It, it may not be a large stream, but every little bit helps. Yes. And if the credit card company is giving me interest-free money, that's like a stream of income mm-hmm. coming in. Now, now, what's your thoughts on the, how the millennials, because you may mention that of a two-year process, Right. Now, me and you understand that two years is relatively short. Very short. Okay. We'll blink two years <laughs> gone, right? But to a millennial, two years is a long time because everything for that generation mm-hmm. is microwave popcorn. Mm-hmm. I, put the mic- I put the popcorn in the microwave. I hit the, I don't even push the mirror back in the day. Mm-hmm. We had to actually put the time in there. Now mm-hmm. you just hit popcorn right. and walk away in a minute and a half, minute and 45 seconds, popcorn's ready. Sure. They... They expect the same thing for something like this. Mm-hmm. And I want you to explain how that's not possible. Well, let me say this. You're right. Now, everything you do is like wine. It takes time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Fine wine takes time. Right. But here's the thing for all, for the millennials and for and for, even for some baby boomers, you know, they, they, have, they are impatient. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why they can't save because they're impatient. And that is that what allows me to 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 do anything is when I get a reward quicker. And that's really what people are seeking. The millennials want to be rewarded faster and, and people who are impatient want a reward faster. So the key is, is in setting up your financial strategy so you get incremental rewards. And that way it allows you to keep moving on. So because you can see progress being made. That's why I like the card. You know, when you mentioned the card and the points, right? All right. That's why I like that approach, because what it does is I start building up points every time I buy something. Right. And so I can take the points and buy something else with it. Right. <laughs> you know, right. so I can get I'm rewarded two ways. Right. One is I, I saved on borrowing money. Right. But the other thing I did was I got points. So I take those points and I can buy things with them. And most people like buying things where they didn't spend money on. Exactly. And, and so if, if you think about how much money you spend, let's say, in a month on your expenses. Right. Um, if you're using your card for every expense at the end of the month, you have enough points to buy things like this tickets to the movies, mm-hmm. right? You have to, you have to buy to, to go to a show, you, you know, you have enough points to do those kind of things. And so if you use that as your reward system to say, well, okay, every month now, you know, you, you, you turn in, you know, two, 300 points and you get your tickets to go to the movies or you get, you know, to do different things. You're getting a constant reward for what you're, you know, for 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 using that card. Um, now, sometimes I'll say this: you have to switch cards every year. Not all the time, but sometimes mm-hmm. you do. You don't have to. But the reason why I'm saying it is this: because what happens is after the first year, the credit card company their reward decreases. When you first come in, they offer you. Right. A, a greater number of points per item, right. you know, or they'll give you a bonus number of points. And then at the end of that year, they kind of, you know, they go back to their normal way of doing business. What I do is I just call them up and say, I'm thinking about canceling my card. Mm. And the first thing I do is say, why? <laughs> right. <laughs> and when they tell me why, I tell them because Discover is offering this. Right. And then they will normally say, well, if you stay, you know, mm. we'll, we'll match it. Oh, I will say I was watching, you know, television. Or I got an advertisement and I saw you were offering new people this. Right. And I'm trying to understand why would you 
reward them more than me. And I've been with you for a long time. That's right. So therefore, I and then it then they will usually say, well, okay, we will give it to you as well, which allows you to get those extra little bonuses. But again, what you said is so important to understand that um, Rome was not built in a day. You're not going to become rich overnight unless you know you marry um, into into money, right? Right, uh, unless you hit the lottery. Uh, but even uh, uh, Mark Zuckerberg did not become rich overnight. That's right. <laughs> you know, That's right. It's true he is rich, but it wasn't an overnight process. Right. And it's true he was young, but it still wasn't an overnight process. Yeah, and you know this this might be slightly off topic, but I think a lot of people too don't see the process. And it, it does take roughly 10 years on average. When you really sit and look at someone that's successful, where they're at, usually you got to go about 10 years before then. That's when the process started. But sure. you're seeing everything happen now. And you say, okay, wow, that got blew up overnight. I guarantee if you go talk to them, it was not overnight. It's, wow. They had a whole lot of struggle times in there, times where they doubted themselves. Mm-hmm. And you're going to have this same type of doubt in during your finances because it's going to be some months in there because the devil's going, the devil, one thing is he's consistent mm-hmm. with making sure, Yo, are you sure you want to follow this plan by God? Mm-hmm. Let me throw this one at you. Mm-hmm. And you guys say, you know what? I'm not going to fall for it. Because wow. I, because happens to people all the time. Mm-hmm. They save $500, the radiator go out in the car. And they get mad. Every time I save some money, something go wrong. I would say, well, you saved the money, something mm-hmm. went wrong. You Now you have the money. Mm-hmm. You're not at the check cash in place, taking out a loan that you'll never be able to pay off. Right, right. You know, so it's like looking at things and how you look at it um, is very important. And also realizing that it's going to take some time. And that's when that mm-hmm. that faith comes in there. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I like to, for me, I use a visualization of when you're walking outside at night, the street lights. Right. And they're, they're ever like so many feet apart. Right. But in between the street lights is pitch black. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, you can maybe see the other light, but you can't see right. on your sides. But you mm-hmm. say, if I keep going this direction, mm-hmm. I'll get to the next light. Sure. Absolutely. It's faith is the same way mm-hmm. to me. It's mm-hmm. like you, I'm in the dark. Mm-hmm. Something can pop out at me. It's, it's your own fear that's mm-hmm. causing that. But if you got faith that it's going to work out, then your fear goes away. Absolutely. You know, yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And again, and, and that's why. Uh, the plan requires, again, something you said a while back was uh, writing it down. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, you, you want a written plan because it has to be adjusted every year because what was sh- uh, what was midterm the next year will be short term. Right. Because as you keep moving out and so you're adjusting it every year. And, and again, that's why it's so crucial to 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 start out with saying my first goal before I even start on a, a, a midterm and long term. My first goal is to get two months of income in an account because that's your emergency money right there. And so now all your savings come goes you know away from your emergency money, but it goes to that midterm, you know, that long term and so forth and so on kind of savings. So now you feel less trapped when something happens because you know that, OK, that's what this money was for. This money was for that emergency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and if you want to, you just call it emergency money. Mm-hmm. And now you don't feel so bad about it because you still have, you know, I'm putting money here. I'm putting money out there. And so once you pay for whatever that was, 
you still put that same percentage that you were putting in that short term right back in there. Right. So you're still replenishing it, but you're still replenishing a long term, too. So once you get over that that initial um, uh, period where you have stocked up your, your, your emergency money, you never stop putting money in the other accounts. You never stop doing that, even as you're trying to replenish the one that you just, you know, spent money out of. That way you still see the other ones continue to build. If you don't see them continue to build, what you said is so true. You will get mad at yourself. You'll get mad at your God. You get mad at whatever caused the problem because you will forget that that's why you had the money there in the first place. That's right. It's, it's, it's to cover that. Right. And then you see yourself. Right.